Welcome to the dark forest. Jackie and her pals will never bore us. Shameless confessions about our obsession will make us laugh and smile. So let's explore the dark forest and dark out for a while. Hi, this is Jackie Cation. Welcome to the dark forest. You know the websites, JackieCation.com, DorkForest.com, TheDorkForest.com, which I purchased because I love a determiner. FamilyPetAncestry.com, because I think it's funny. Uh, they all go to uh, either DorkForest.com or JackieCation.com. The credits, let's do them. Mike Rickberg composed and sang the intro song, sang it with his girlfriend, Sarah Cohen. He will sing the Mexican hat dance at the end of the program again with lyrics that he made up. That's right. Patrick Brady, go to fix this audio, thank God. And uh, Vilmos fixes my website. So if you ever need a website design, talk to Vilmos. His link is in the notes. Merchandise. If you were to want stuff, you'd go to JackieCation.com. You'd go to the store. You could get CDs. I have three CDs, all, well, two of them critically acclaimed. The first one, just okay, just okay. But if you're a completist, you can get all three for a deal. And there's domestic prices and international prices. My last CD, This Will Make an Excellent Horcrux, also available as my first ever DVD. It is only available as a DVD right now because I'm in the process of trying to sell it to somebody, uh, to have it streamed somewhere for free. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to sell it on some website, and then you will know about it. Both This Will Make an Excellent Horcrux and It's Never Going to Be Bread, my last two albums, top ten comedy albums of the year. Bread was top 10 on Amazon for the year it came out, which was 2010. And Horcrux, top five on Vulture.com last year. There's also t-shirts. You can get Ranger of the Dork Forest t-shirt. You can get a, the regular The Dork Forest t-shirts. And you can get the new Spooky Reading Girl t-shirt, which is a reference to one of my newer jokes on the newest album. So they're all union-made here in the United States of America, so they run big. Take that into account. Shipping is included. And I can ship them domestically or internationally as well. On JackieCation.com and TheDorkForce.com, there's a donation button. If you enjoy the program, I would love you to donate. You can give me $10 a month for 10 months. Uh, or you can give me $100 a year all at once. Or you can give me whatever you'd like because it's a donation button. But uh, I would appreciate that if you have it. It would be great. It is used only for good. If you don't have any money, that's fine. You've done what you can. The uh, There's an Amazon banner on JackieCation.com on the right-hand side above a video of me doing stand-up comedy, I believe. And you click on that banner. You go to Amazon. You order like normal. And Amazon sends me some money for what you order. It doesn't cost you extra. I just get a little kickback, so I appreciate that. On JackieCation.com, there's also a tour, tour page, lots of different places to watch me do stand-up comedy. There's a new thing going on besides Spooky Reading Girl t-shirt, which is a new t-shirt that you can buy. I am going to do the live episodes as premium episodes, so they will cost on Bandcamp, the dorkforest.bandcamp.com. And they'll be two bucks. And that's just to defray the cost of the live ones. There's only going to be a handful a year. And it's two bucks. You, you got two bucks. You're good. And always know in your heart that there will be at least 52 episodes of free ones every year on iTunes and all that stuff. If there's a problem, if you have any issues or anything ever with the show, or if you just want to say hi, my email address is Jackie at JackieCation.com. Enough of this. Let's get into the show. It's a good one. Hey, it's Jackie Cation. Welcome back to the Dork Forest. I am sitting with someone. We were uh, joined together via the interweb. Amy Shira Title. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. I've been I've taken to saying welcome to the program, like it's a program, and it is. I mean, low these many years. Yeah. So um, you are a space dork and yes. enjoy space. This is true. I am a giant space dork. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Now, people, you you have a blog, a space blog on PopSci. Yes, and they can find it by going to your wet, to your Twitter and all that, which is at ast vintage space. And vintage space is the name of your blog, right? Yes. So if they, you go to YouTube.com/slash vintage space, you can uh, watch Amy talk at you through. YouTube? Short, yeah, sure. YouTube's it's short, short videos about about space, obviously, and for, uh, for space or against. 
four, but mostly exploring space history because that's kind of the the beat in space that I tend to cover is all things old. Oh, that's um, awesome! Which space is really history. fun. Yeah. So it's <laughs> yeah. And now you have written a book, and that's it's in editing right now, and it's going to yes. come out and fall in the UK and yeah. the, in the US in next year, and it will be called Breaking the Chains of Gravity. Which is a great name, well, by the you. way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Amy Shearer title. And it's T-E-I-T-E-L, by the way. So I went Titel. Title, your name. You Tons of it. mispronunciations and weird spellings. It's it can have, I want to ethnic it up. For, I don't know. for a six-letter name, it's amazing how many variations <laughs> I see. It's really fun. It is fun. So, but... The, the book itself is sort of about the roots of NASA and, and mm-hmm. space history and space program stuff. Yeah. But you, let's, let's talk about, I don't know anything about space history. Right. I was, uh, my fourth birthday was uh, when the United States landed on the moon. That's, there you go. That's a pretty good birthday. Did you watch it for your birthday? Was this well, like the group party kind of stops and all the adults are like, watch this, honey. You'll be really happy you did. Tiny black and white television could have, might, or might just be one of those memories where they tell you you saw something yeah. when you're four years old. And it was my birthday. So, um, I remember later, uh, I would, I made a joke that it was one small step. For Jackie, one giant step for mankind. Because uh, I was four. Yeah. And uh, it was yeah, early years of the stand-up comedy. So <laughs> talk to me about, uh, yeah, what are the roots of NASA? The roots of NASA, I mean, there's... What does it stand uh, for? National... The Air- National Aeronautics and Space Administration. There we go. There we I might have gotten that if I would have thought about it. Good for me. Um, yeah, the roots of NASA, I mean, there are a lot of ways that you can answer that question, a lot of directions you can go in that. Um, for me personally, and the book, I decided to... To go with sort of the four big things that you need to have a space agency and have a space program, which is you need rockets, you need spacecraft, you need men to go in those spacecraft, and you need the bureaucracy to manage it all. Oh. So my book kind of takes those four general areas and kind of teases out the roots of that as they fed into NASA. Um because NASA was founded when? In 1958. So okay. N- so NASA, I mean, so NASA's, rockets had to be invented. Yeah. I mean, we had rockets. We had, so what's, what's interesting is that people kind of have, there's this mis- misconception that like space exploration started with NASA and it, it did properly because that was when our all country those four got, things. yeah, all those four things came together under <laughs> one banner and started doing things like going into space. But all like the technology wasn't invented in a vacuum all of a sudden to right. be like, Oh, let's just go. Um, the technology had all these deep roots, so the rockets were developed in Ger- I mean, rockets were developed elsewhere, but the rockets that, you know. That worked? That deliberately or, or more uh, directly fed into NASA were Warner von Brown's, the, the V2 rockets, the Nazi rockets that Nazis. were then. They built, I mean, they built rockets that worked. The so, trains oh, ran on time. Things were happening in Germany. I like my was... Nazis buffoonish. Uh, Rangers of the Dark Forest know this. Uh, all right. <laughs> yeah, Hogan's uh, Heroes. I, I hate it when they're super efficient and successful at all of their endeavors, because mo- some of their endeavors are horrifying, but mm-hmm. obviously rockets. But effective, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> Sadly, it was, also yeah, effective. It was, it was one of those things that, like, when you're living with this technology and you kind of get into that sort of cultural aspect, it's like, this is this is so horrible to have to keep reading about and, like, really hard to deal with, too. Right. Because how do you talk about something technologically without apologizing for what n- they had done? I mean, using oh, like slave laborers to, yeah. to build it and using, you know... Like the pyramids. Yeah. Very beautiful. I want to see them. Yeah. Uh, I doubt that there was consensual adults working there yeah. Or union labor, um, making it all possible. Yeah, so it's sort of that, like, it's that weird history where you kind of have to, like, walk the fine line without being apologetic, but also right. not <laughs> pretend that it was all wonderful in, like, a, you know, episode of Leave it to Beaver or yes. something, where it's so like... you don't pretend it didn't happen the way yeah. it happened. Yeah. We just are reaping the benefits of it now. Yeah. So, yeah. so Werner Herzog. No. No. Uh, <laughs> another Werner with an H in the middle there. Uh, yeah, Werner von Braun was the one who sort of uh, spearheaded the group developing the V two rockets in Germany and he he was like the intellectual reparations were a huge spoil of that war that they really wanted to like get the scientists coming in. Um, okay. So, so the Americans, the, the British and the Soviets were all right. like really wanted this, this rocket power. And the von Braun was like, I don't want to go to the Soviets. I don't really want to go to the British or the French. So let's try to find the Americans. And you right. know, I've seen all their movies. Yeah. Very <laughs> well. I mean, he had this sort of idea from his brother who'd lived in the U S for a while that America was really the land of dreams that if he was going to mm-hmm. have his, he, all he wanted to do was explore space. And if he was going to do it, it was going to be in America. So this okay. is sort of his big, like, I, you know. I think that's my best bet to make yeah, it happen. Yeah. And I'm certainly getting West Side, or not West Side Story. Yeah. Stuck in my head. Okay. Going to America. <laughs> Anyways. Um, 
So, so they, they did end up finding Americans and they, the Americans brought the Nazi rockets over and fired them in New Mexico. And that became the basis for a lot of American rockets in the 1950s and 60s. And von Braun himself built, of course, the Saturn V that went to the moon, but also. Oh, did he? Yeah. He was the, he, he was, he was his like team. the main. Yeah. He, he ended up working for the army, um, first in 1949. Uh, 49. <laughs> yeah. 49, he moved oh, yeah? to the army. 46, he was sort of, hush hush the government wasn't really admitting that they had germans working with yes. the, the military um and they they immigrated in 49 and i think 50 they were formally working for the u.s army and they created the army ballistic missile division and that was uh worked into nasa in 1960 so that became like the big rocket center that developed all the saturn class of rockets that all the space nerds know and love because they're the giant behemoths that do they look like giant robots Wait, uh, what are they? They're, the Saturn they're ones. They're the iconic, like, black and white ones. Oh, like, super skinny tall? Yeah. The, the, like the launch scene in Apollo 13 yeah. when it's like that black and white, sort of like the patches. And it's yeah. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen, like, if you ever go to Cape Kennedy or yeah. any of the, I don't know, there's one in Cape Canaveral? Yeah, that's the, the there's names another keep one. changing. There's capes. There's all, yeah, these rockets are like, when you look at them, it's just like, I don't understand how someone made something this big that worked. I mean, the thing's massive. It's like 363 feet tall. I mean, that is a huge rocket. Right. So, yeah, they don't have to be that big. Well, they they kind of do. I mean, this is why. I mean, NASA's SLS rocket, the Space Launch System, okay, Senate Launch System, as the joke goes, um, <laughs> is is going to be the first thing. I've never heard that joke. Yeah, and it's thus, uh... <laughs> whoever wrote it just got a laugh. Yeah, good for them. Whoever whoever coined that term did did a really good job there. Um, yeah, it's it's the first rocket since the Saturn V that's actually going to be bigger and more powerful than than it. So we okay. we've lost that technology big time, but it's that that rocket has roots in Nazi Germany and. Starting in 1932, so that's that's kind of where I go back. Okay, so you start there, and so they that so that those are the roots of NASA, and yeah, one of them, one of them. What are the other? The other, I mean, you have to you have the the spacecraft and the astronauts. So for for that, I kind of took the the route of looking at how rocket engines started moving into airplanes, because oh. you know things were starting to go you know, getting faster, faster and higher and some, and eventually they were like, okay, well, we, we need, there's a, there's an engineering limit here that called the sound, the quote unquote sound barrier. Cause it's not really a barrier per se, but, right. um, not being able to fly faster than the speed of sound was a huge deal because once you can go supersonic, you can go even faster. So the only way to go supersonic was to just use raw power. And that was a rocket engine. Okay. So that's what Bell did with the X one that, that Chuck Yeager famously flew through the sound barrier. Okay. Um, was just stick a rocket engine in the back of a plane that looked like a bullet because engineers knew that bullets flew faster than sound, leaving the barrel of a gun. Right. So they took a 50 caliber, bu- ca- 50 caliber <laughs> bullet. That's no the problem. phrase. Um, stuck, you know, made a plane that looked like it stuck little nubbly wings on it and stuck a rocket in the back and then shot it. And then stuck a dude in it. And then stuck a guy in it, stuck Chuck Yeager in it, and um, dropped it from, dropped it from underneath a B-29 bomber. And once it was airborne. So he didn't have to take off. He couldn't because the, the rocket, he only had so much rocket fuel and he had to save all that rocket fuel to fire that big rocket engine to get that big push of speed to go supersonic. I think it was only like. Was there a plan for him to land? Yeah, I mean, it landed. He, he's still around, right? Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, right. he's he still around. I mean, he lived. Yeah. Um. So, so because because he couldn't have any extra fuel on board to take off and you know cruise to altitude and then try to go really fast, right. they dropped him like a bomb from okay. a bomber. Yeah. So he's falling from the sky at like I don't know thirty two thousand feet, so like cruising <laughs> altitude, turning on, turning on the engine, puts on the four <laughs> rocket engine barrels and just like shoots through the sound barrier and goes faster than sound and then and then it's he has no power after that's done so he glides to a landing at the the desert oh interesting yeah that's that's all the rocket planes did that and i get into the x-15 as well a little bit um which was the still i think the fastest manned aircraft around it hit mach 6.7 well that thing is fast it's just like a 50 it's like really sexy it's like this 50 <laughs> foot long tiny little thing with like one guy it's like one guy in the front and then just like rocket all the way back. Just all rocket. It's just all, all rocket. Back. It's really, really cool. But, um, they all did that. They just, they would fly really fast, really high for a really short amount of time and then glide with no power down um, to a runway, down to the desert floor at Edwards Air Force Base. So there had to be a plan, a flight plan, clearly. Yeah. 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 That would start them one place. You run out of rocket fuel. You yeah. are now gliding and there's yeah. the landing area. This is the joy of the desert. <laughs> and this is why, I suppose. this is why they ended up where they are at Edwards is, or, you know, yeah. the, the, What's the desert called? Maroc oh. Desert. Well, no, that was the old Mojave? Air Force Base. Mojave Desert. That's the there one. There you go. Uh, they're all the names. <laughs> but because um, <laughs> it was just a safe landing spot, they could 
if they, right. they there was no like they didn't have to aim at a runway they had this like right. massive dry lake bed right. to land on and if they they got in trouble there were other lake beds where they could try okay. to land so it became this like really it was this really interesting culture that developed of like experimental aircraft flying out there and they're still out there and military training aircraft were out there because they just had this huge expanse of space and no one's around. What do you mean they're still out there? Are they out there rotting? Like the elephant graveyard? No, the, oh. like Edwards Air Force Base is still an oh, active military site. They're still testing. Oh, and that's what, and that's what and they're that, doing out there. Yeah, and that's because where, they have a lot of land. Yeah. And okay. that's where it all started. So like there's deep history up in that site. Right, like, right. They've been there for 60, 70 years yeah. or whatever. Yeah, okay. They moved in in, I think, 43 was when they set up camp. All right. Well, 33. 33. Yeah. All right. Well, because I know that... Um, talk to me about rocket fuel. I mean, what is the difference between rocket fuel and regular gasoline? Do you um, have any idea? Not as much as I maybe should, because I, I am not an engineer. Because they ran out of <laughs> rocket fuel. Yeah. Which means, why didn't you just make more rocket fuel? I mean, is it hard to make rocket fuel? I mean, you can you can make rocket fuel. I don't know how you make rocket fuel. Um, It's usually... It's, you need a rocket scientist. Well... Step one. The thing, <laughs> yeah. The thing with rocket fuel is, like, if you have a traditional gasoline engine, it right. gets, like, the oxidizer. So you have the fuel, and the oxidizer that actually makes it burn is just air. Right. Right? So, like, a jet engine in your airplane... It's forcing air, of air. Yeah. because you're in the atmosphere, you're forcing air through and that's what's burning. But with a rocket, you don't have air right? because you're, you're very in... quickly above the atmosphere. So right. these really high speed planes like the X-15 that was flying, I think the peak height was around 300,000 feet. Like that's really high. That's up. super high. <laughs> so high. Holy crap. Um, there's no air to breathe. So you have to take your oxygen with you. So you have... Um, fuel and an oxide. So you have like, it's usually like kerosene or... and okay. liquid oxygen. And that's, that's what the set, the, the rockets burn too, was just kerosene and liquid oxygen. The two would feed into a combustion chamber and ignite. So you, you would have to take those two things with you. Wow. So it's not like you can just have a bigger gas tank and then, you know, it'll get heavier, but you, you can't burn just plain Right. Fuel, you need something to burn it, so you need that oxidizer. I've never thought about yeah, that. It's, one, that it's makes... one of those things that you, you never think about, because how often do you have to worry about not having air? Right, the, the like average air. person. It's like, almost like it's available at all times. Yeah. Uh, yes. What about this, though? What, um, so when you have a rock, okay, so the, <laughs> the rockets happen. <laughs> 13 minutes in, Jackie is slightly punchy. So that, but the, the rocket fuel, the rocket engines, were they ever just put on regular airplanes for, for community, for like public use? No. Okay. No, so they there were some people that wanted to see this happen. And there was like this, this great, um, Walter Dormer, who's actually the leader of the German army's rocket team, okay. had this vision of the future that would use rocket planes for commercial aviation. Okay. And it was this really cool system where they were both like, they both, they looked like space shuttles, these two vehicles, and one would kind of piggyback on the other. Yeah. And they would launch together and then the, the bigger one was the booster and that would fall away and fly back down to the airport. Yeah. And then the smaller one was the passenger glider and it would go on to its destination. Right. And the idea was you have about six minutes of powered flight. You hit like 180,000 feet <laughs> and then you have this silent glide down through the atmosphere where you can get from like, you know, <laughs> Sydney to Calcutta to London to LA right. in three hours right. per leg as opposed to 12. Right. And he, he thought like this could be the future. Right. And when you think about it, it's kind of not crazy. Crazy it's not a because for these guys who grew, who were sort of doing this stuff in the 30s, like they they were born before flight, so they yeah. saw these like bare bones airplanes replaced by metal structures with rockets in them. So why would this not eventually parlay into the commercial sector? But right, and why not just be teleportation eventually? Yeah, eventually. <laughs> but what is you know the, remember the supersonic airplanes that were then oh the banned? Concorde the yeah. Concorde. Yeah. What is, what's the difference? Do you know what you happen to know? <laughs> um, the con, I mean, the, the real issue with the Concorde, and I, I don't know it in detail, but you can't fly. So when you go through the sound barrier, um, what it is, it's like the, the air molecules are building up in front of your airplane and you have to force through that kind of, it's kind of a it's barrier. It's kind of a barrier. But it's, it's not, not real really barrier. a barrier. It's, Got it's it. an aerodynamicist could explain it way better than me. But, sure. um, when you, when you go through that, there is that sonic boom that happens. And yeah. it's not like you go through that once the boom happens and then you're just supersonic. That boom keeps happening. So you can't fly an airplane like the Concorde over continental United States because everyone under that flight path would have this constant boom every time the airplane went over. So that's why the Concorde could oh. only do the legs over the Atlantic. Because if you go supersonic over the water, Fish there's no one, bitch about it. no, who's going to no. complain? It's so what, there's, Orca's going to come up and go, hey, super loud up there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's one of the things. I mean, it's, it's, 
that really limits where you can take it. And if you have right. this very limited area where you can fly, you're limited in who's going to take it. Right. Um, and there have been, I mean, you keep every once in a while you see another article, someone comes out and says, we're working on a way to do boomless supersonic flight. And okay. that would be the only way. And I don't even know how they're wow. thinking of doing it. I've, I've looked into it a couple of times, but I'm, I still don't totally get it. It has something to do with like bouncing the sound waves off at a certain angle so that they don't actually reach the ground. Okay. I think, I don't know. It was a little bit nutty and I don't totally get it, but I will, I would so, love if this happened. I mean, we could get from LA to New York in, I don't know, in 45 minutes in an to hour an hour or something. Or something. I mean, yeah. it would be, it would be really great, but you know, whether or not it would be affordable is the other thing. Well, yeah. And, and yeah, because or certainly not initially. Yeah. So, okay. Now, let's get yeah. back to the thing you yeah. love, which is I appreciate your answering all that stuff. That's great. No, anything in the air is totally fair game. Yeah. <laughs> so there's unrealized missions, you said. There's missions oh. that they wanted to do. There were there were programs they wanted to do, but they the, the dreams were just too big or they were just Yeah. Um HG Wells got involved. I mean, there's there's uh, this is sort of like this is a theme I think in space always. Like there are missions that we want to see now that aren't happening. You know, every every year, I mean, how many people present missions to NASA that just don't get funded? Right. Um but one of one of the really interesting ones that I looked at in the um we're going to keep this in the framework of my book and sure. gently nudge it. <laughs> Can't um, hurt. It yeah. sounds fascinating. So I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like NASA was created and then people thought, well, let's go to the moon. The military was already thinking about going to the moon because the military saw the it was, it made sense to militarize space and to have there be an American presence in space. Because that way, if any other nation, ahem, the Soviet Union got up there, we would have some like fighting capacity. So there's this great, there are reports. I love, where, I love that there's guys going, they don't have, they don't have space power. They don't have power to get to space, but there's dudes but in 1930 in are like, you know where we ought to be? The moon. Yeah. I bet you we could see everything from up there. Yeah. And you're like, how do you get to the moon, weirdo? Yeah. Okay. So there, there's sort of two camps. There's like the guys that like Von Brown who really just wanted to explore and he came up with these great missions of like everything we know about space right now. Here's technically how you could have a feasible mission. Here's how the rockets would work. And then there were the military guys who were like, let's build a base on the moon and just nuke everybody. <laughs> so you have this kind of like dichotomy of reasons to go into space. But, um, right. you know, so, so but there they're are, both willing to spend but money. But they're both, they're both, well, that's, I mean, that's why Von Braun ended up with the German army in the first place mm-hmm. because you don't, there wasn't exactly money pouring in for amateur rocketry in Germany in the right. 1930s. But, but then, Hitler's like, no, we're going to get the moon. Well, then, because the, ar- the army is like, well... So the Treaty of Versailles after the First World War, right, right, says Germany can't have an air force. Right. But it doesn't say anything about rockets. So there's this loophole that oh. all of a sudden the army's like, well, if you can develop this into a combat weapon, we'll, we'll fund it. So, so the army went and visited von Braun and saw that what he was doing and his team was doing was actually worthwhile and kind okay. of brought a few of them into the fold. So there is this like really deep military connection to space because of the course. military has always had the money. Yeah. So, you know, fast forward to the 1950s, right in the wake of Sputnik, it's, it's, the aviation industry that was building, um, building vehicles for the, the military and the military who starts hitting the Department of Defense with all these ideas of, well, here's why you need to militarize, um, the space between the earth and the moon. Here's why we need to get a man on the moon right now. And the, <sighs> the Air Force had this brilliantly detailed plan. I mean, down to the dollar, um, down to the month of <sighs> why he, he, it was like a 15 step lunar exploration program that ended with man landing on the moon by 1965. Okay. And with the idea that if we get there first, it'll be ours and we can, we can use it as a defense outpost. Right. Not was, realizing that there was a, there, there was, there was be a change in attitude about people saying, just cause you got there first doesn't make it yours. Yeah. 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 And you was, don't get to claim the moon. Remember when the, remember when Coca-Cola wanted to put a giant sign on the moon that could be seen anywhere on earth? Oh God. And, uh, <laughs> and I think every country, including the U.S. government was yeah. like, no, let's let's not use Let, the moon as a giant billboard, billboard. in the sky. <laughs> yeah. That would be the most depressing thing, maybe. Right? I think yeah. I, they did it on the tick. Anyway, so but uh, yeah, no, no, no billboards on the moon. Yeah, Every, the moon's everybody. Yeah, everybody gets the moon. Yeah. Okay. And which is how it should be. And which I is, think so. Yeah. So so the military. I mean, yeah, the, the, mil- the mil- sort of the military aspect of of going into space was kind of 
stopped a little bit by Eisenhower. Okay. Um, and I mean, a lot of factors, but Eisenhower was the one that kind of said, maybe we should not have a war in space. Oh, maybe right. we should have a civilian space agency. And then, you know, started taking the steps to create NASA, which is a completely civilian agency, oh, even though interesting. It, it did. Yeah. He was, he, he called for the, the National Aeronautics and Space Act that actually founded NASA. Okay. Because, it was originally under ARPA, which is now DARPA, because it what was, does that stand for? DARPA is the oh golly, okay, like ARPA defense? was the Advanced Research Projects Agency. Mm-hmm. So I think it's now the Defense Advanced Research Projects, Projects Agency. I think right. I'm I'm not actually sure what it stands for now, but I do know that that's what ARPA stands for. Um, so so ARPA, the the Secretary of Defense created ARPA to handle all the big new projects coming in, in that by default in 1958, included space. Okay. And Eisenhower was like, I don't really know if I want to have a war in space right now. Right. Um, you know, the more I hear about Eisenhower, the more I like Eisenhower. Do you know that he used um, the military part of, he was like, okay, well, we're going to need to be able to move items from across one part of the United States to the other United States. Yeah. And that's what invented the highway yeah. system. Yeah. There's... He, the American he, highway system is endlessly fascinating to me. And oh, there's really? actually a great book about it called The Big Roads. The Big and that Roads. Goes, that goes into Eisenhower because I think it was a military training exercise. Uh, um, to, to build it? No, to um, when he realized that they needed some kind of large-scale road system yeah. around the country, that he was, when he was, you know, huge army general, um, that there was yeah. some exercise that they were doing and his men kept getting stuck in mud and that it was just like, this is this is stupid that we can't right. get our military to where we need it in the country. From one like, state to the next. We need to be able to move in the country. And that was one of the things that sort of inspired huh. him to get the, the highways going. But that's a sidebar. <laughs> right, right. That's, that's yeah. a road episode. But yeah. fair enough. But I, I, that's great that Eisenhower. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, there were other problems with the highway system. I know that uh, sure. because uh, they split black communities in half and it was a way to devise. Uh, the, they did it in Milwaukee anyway. Yeah. And I, I understand it was not the, the first uh, community. It was because the, the, the black communities had communities. Mm-hmm. And so they built the highway system to break up those communities. And yeah. so they had to cross the highway to, uh, to see family and the stuff. It was almost, oh it was, it, it genuinely is heartbreaking. Yeah. But, there's a lot of that, like technology being used to sort of shape for people's evil. behaviors. And there's, <laughs> I think there's actually, there's a couple of bridges in New York over highway overpasses that were built, um, deliberately low so that buses couldn't go under them to keep, to, ah. keep, to enforce segregation in certain parts of the city. Got it. And I, I don't know what they are offhand, but I remember reading about that reading once about and thinking, that, that well. is just like how to use technology so subtly for evil. For cruel. Just, yeah, just to be, j- yeah. just to perpetuate something yeah. that you're like, what even makes you think about that? That you're yeah. like, why would I want to destroy families and communities like that? And, and you, cause that's what I loved about Star Trek. <laughs> It was when everybody just wanted everyone to do well. Yeah. And uh, it didn't matter what you looked like. Mm-hmm. If you had a big thing in your forehead, you were just an we're alien. All, we're all just humans, guys. We're all just, we're all just we're all people. It's great. Okay. But I, again, okay. I've waited off. <laughs> so missions and programs that didn't happen. And uh yeah. So. Yeah. You, so just. Fun ones or, or. I mean, fun ones. I mean, the military ones are great, but there's, I mean, there's some sort of later, later on that didn't happen that are also a lot of fun. Um I know this was never formally proposed as a as a mission but one of my favorites um and i've just heard flight apollo flight directors talking about this one they wanted to land um a mission on the far side of the moon which would be very interesting because that is a completely on i mean we've never really explored it in okay. situ right um and the idea was to do it the astronauts would not be able to talk to mission control when they're on the far side of the moon because radio waves can't go through the moon. So the idea was to prove that the astronauts were smart enough and the technology was good enough to land without help from the ground and therefore could really go anywhere in the solar system. Right. So the, the sort of this proof of concept, like we can do this. We don't need to be monitoring and hand-holding the entire time. And we're going to risk a team. And we're going to risk a team of, of men, two that... guys, to land on the far side of the moon and they would be completely, they would be able to contact the command module as it passed over, but that that would be it, and it, it was just—I mean—they were just talking about it, but it right, was just right. like that's a really kind of great idea. And then there were there were all these great plans to um to repurpose the the Apollo hardware into um, multi planet missions, just fly by Mars and come back, okay. um, because the. 
the lunar module couldn't land anywhere else, which is my favorite thing about the movie Capricorn One when they're have the lunar module on the fake Mars set as okay. if that could have landed on Mars, but it wouldn't have landed on Mars. <laughs> um, but it's the, the, this core spacecraft, the command and service module, the gumdrop and that cylindrical bit on the end, that, that was good enough. Like if you fix the guidance and make it go somewhere else, it could have supported a mission to Mars or to Venus just right. for observation. It was one of those things they kind of looked at feasibility, how much, you know, man hours of food and oxygen and all your consumables right. you would need and, and schedules and stuff. And it was kind of neat, but the, there was just, never money for it. I mean, it costs NASA, a lot of money. It costs a lot of money. I mean, people think NASA has a lot of money now. Yeah. But people, I like, okay, NASA gets what, 0.1% of the GDP right now? Is okay. That, is that it? That sounds um, accurate. In 1966, <laughs> the agency had 4% of the GDP. I mean, or like 4.2%. Okay. I mean, it was nuts. Like, that's a huge amount of money. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of dropping off by the and end even of the 60s. More. Yeah. Okay. So there was ne- there was never money to do any of these crazy. So we land on the moon in sixty nine. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, well, that, now we're done. And so then then people sort of lose interest in. Well, they zenning. had. I mean, people people generally weren't actually that interested in the moon by the time they got there. I think Apollo only ever had like a fifty percent approval rating. Really? I mean, you have to when you kind of take it into context of like the Vietnam War and everything oh, else that right. was going on. Like, this is this is a <laughs> there were other things on this their is plate. A huge amount of money for something that's at this point just a you know show of technological dominance, which is, I mean, an incredible demonstration. But right, you know, there are men dying overseas, left, right, right and center, and there's this war that doesn't seem to be ending, and there's, and there's civil poverty, unrest, and, and there's no education money. Yeah, and people are like, why are we spending, are we spending bazillions of dollars on to go yeah. to the moon? And it's it's hard, and I think that's what's always so hard about space, and that's what's still really hard about space. That because, is really hard. Um, the, there is an immediate. Pay them. That's the immediate payoff, but there is kind of a trickle down that we don't necessarily think about or know about. Um, and that the technology that NASA develops has spinoffs. And NASA oh. actually releases this. I think I don't know if it's actually called a spinoff showcase. It might be ripping that off of The Simpsons, but right. <laughs> um, they do have a thing of spinoff technologies every year. And like the the line of sight orbital rendezvous technology that was developed for the shuttle to dock with things without having a pilot involved um, begat LASIK eye surgery. Because oh, that is really? the most precise laser that they developed, and that was one of that's one of my favorites. Um, There's some some mammogram technology that ended up coming out of a spinoff from NASA. Um, all kinds of just weird things that you wouldn't think about. The way trucks are designed to be aerodynamic is NASA based research. Um, okay, NASA so, has designed swimwear for Olympians that actually create a boundary layer. There's of survivalist air. Yeah, it's food. Just, I mean, it's just there's all kinds of yeah. like uh, food that lasts a gajillion years. Yeah. And, and doesn't need anything but water. Once yeah. You, the the you, the medical and technological spinoffs yeah. of this stuff, like we are getting it back in a way. It's just okay. less immediate. So there is there is a benefit to it. It's just not what you see in the news necessarily. A minute and a half ago, I was like, yeah, no space program. I'm going to want to feed people <laughs> and, and educate them. And now I'm back. Yeah. Now I'm back. Now I want space again because yeah. there can be, there's, because with all of this stuff, there's, there's always the, the, the side effect of, of, of what you've learned mm-hmm. when you're, trying to create something else. Yeah. You know, you're trying to create something else. The post-it. Yeah. Uh, the, the guy was trying to make the greatest glue in the world, mm-hmm. and he figured out a way to make a, a, a re-stickable, unsticky. Yeah. And so that's just uh, serendipitous. Yeah. So that's uh, that's just fine. I think that that's, that's I mean, how, the ways to get, how do you get people interested in, I mean, you just got me. You got me interested <laughs> in the investment again. Right. But you have to, and, and history and, and space has, has so much allure to it just because mm. there's so much, the, the, the number of science fiction television programs now. Yeah. So much. When I was a kid, there was only, there was only Star Trek and then Battlestar Galactica. Right. And that was it. And I think Land of the Lost was, was time travel. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there was, it was mostly crap. And, um, and now there's at least 13, there's sci-fi channel is yeah. making up nonsense all the time. And, and there's, and it's the biggest, it's no longer the genre that is mocked. Yeah. And it is, it is the genre that, that everyone's reading. Mm-hmm. So how do you not, not interested in space travel? You, you, you were more interested in space history than, than. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, but that's a per, I mean, I'm still, I still follow ongoing missions and I'm still really excited by what we're doing now. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually, I'm more of a space 
fan than a space or science fiction fan because for to me the fact that we're actually sending like we have a car driving around on mars and we're getting back science data and we have all these probes learning about all the planets that is so much cooler than like some fictionalized future (laughs) going between planets that couldn't really happen the way they i mean the reality of the actual science is so phenomenal to me that um that i I mean that's what i love and i just i i find that if you understand where it all came from you appreciate it how much how much, how important it is and how exciting it is that much more. Okay. And really, how far we've come, How really. far we've come. I mean, we've only been in space for a little over half a century and we've done so much and we've gone forward in just this massive scale. It's just, it's really, it's fascinating to me. But We're, I think with, um, sort of just like to, to, in getting people yeah. interested in space, there is a lot, I think space has an allure for almost anybody. Like you can either love the night sky and want to learn about constellations or you right. can be really interested in in a specific planet or you can be interested in the technology or you can be interested in the science fiction and sort of that can lead you into sort of, okay, well, this planet in this show, like is there a planet like that out there? Maybe I'll hunt for exoplanets. Okay. And like there's always a little bit – everybody's kind of interested in the unknown and about discovering something new. Yeah. And there's always a little – a way to kind of draw you into space There's somehow. always a different angle. Yeah. There's there's, there's so many ways to look at – There's many stars in the sky. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But I mean it's – but it's true though because yeah. you can come from it from – from from a science fiction angle, mm-hmm. or you can come from a hard science angle, yeah. or you can come from a hard math angle. Yeah, that too. <laughs> and those, I mean that that fascinates me because I'm I never come at anything from a hard math angle. Yeah. So, but it's it's and but and I but I genuinely love all si- all history of of all kinds. Mm-hmm. So the idea that that people I don't know. It's interesting to to see the the history of of space travel and then hold it against the history of science fiction talking yeah. about space travel. Yeah, you know, H.G. Wells uh, d- did some space travel, but Out of the Silent Planet by C.S. Lewis was written in 1949, and it was before anyone had gone out mm-hmm. into space. And so his idea of what a spaceship should be was essentially what. A planet is. He thought mm-hmm. they would have developed a way that there would be gravity in the center of the spaceship. And so you would walk around the outside of the right. spaceship because of the way gravity works. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then you would fly to another planet. And then of course it became a Christian metaphor, but <laughs> good for him. And, uh, <laughs> so, but people going to other, uh, other planets and all mm-hmm. this stuff, like, and I don't know anything about any p- planets. First of all, I didn't know that we had never been to the dark side of the moon because I read Deadpool and, uh, Deadpool, the Marvel comic book, okay. uh, action hero, mm-hmm. uh, uh, spent some time in the dark side of the moon where, where a lot of vampires live. Right. So, uh, that's not real, turns no. out. Yeah, that's where the Draculas live. He kept calling them Draculas. That's They're not Draculas. They're funny. vampires. Okay. It's very funny. <laughs> and, uh, cause it's Deadpool and it's supposed to be. Right. But, uh, so we've never been to the dark side of the moon. The, no, the, we've been around it. So just, but just, just, uh, just orbiting, circling, it? orbiting around it. Yeah. I mean, the, the command module was orbiting around it while the two guys were walking on the surface, but they had to be in communication with with Houston the whole time, so they had to be on the near side where they could actually have a radio signal. Now, isn't there a way to put a satellite that just satellites they, they around probably, it and then they could probably do, it that way? I don't know if that actually happened in the movie Moon or not. I can't remember, but... Um, <laughs> What's the movie Moon? The movie Moon, if, if you haven't seen it, it's, a, it's one of my favorite... I'm not a, again, not a huge science fiction yeah. fan, but like, this was great. Um, <laughs> it's, it's about a guy mining for helium three on the moon and I won't spoil it, but I think it's right. on Netflix and it's worth, right. it's one of those like movies that sort of subtly kind of hits you. It's like, it's very slow and, and artistic and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God. And okay. it just kind of like smacks you in the face. Um, it's really great. It's really, it was very interesting. Is there anyone famous in it? Mm. Or is it just a, was it kind of a low is budget science fiction movie? Sam, is Sam Rockwell a person? Sam Rockwell is a person. <laughs> I think, wow, I think his welcome characters. Welcome to the dork forest because that's how I do famous people as well. <laughs> I don't know any of these people. I think that's his, awesome. I feel like his character's name was also Sam, so I can't okay. remember if that was the character or his name, but I think, I think that's who it is. Yeah. Now, what do you use helium three for? Um, what the hell I, is helium three? Helium three, I. You got a lot of balloons you need to blow up? What's happening? <laughs> helium three can be used for fuel. Okay. So the, the idea is to sort of, there, there are a, a lot fuel. of companies that want to mine the moon and then use it as basically a gas station. Right. So if you were to have a spacecraft going to another planet, you could just go to the moon, which is pretty easy, all right. things, you know, compared to going to Pluto or something. Um, mine for helium three, refuel from there and then launch again. It would be far easier because it takes oh, a right. lot of fuel to get into orbit. Um, it takes a lot a, of it. Wait, it, okay. So it takes, 
Did I people I, try? I wish to... I had a Saturn V to show you. Like this, yeah. okay, the thing is this big, and like this much of it is just the is tiny the spacecraft. Like the the first two stages are all fuel just to get into orbit, and it's so much of that rocket is just fuel to get into orbit. Wow! It's like it's really it's it's very hard to explain without a picture, unfortunately. But what it's, is the name of it? The, the Saturn V. The Sat- oh Saturn V. It's, they use uh, Roman sure Roman Roman yeah. numeral. Um, but so but but so most of it is. So did they try you're, you're get... fighting gravity and you're also fighting the atmosphere. Okay. So that atmosphere is dragging you down, right? It's, it is, there is a drag from the atmosphere. So you have to get through all the lower atmosphere first. And you're using so much fuel to get the weight of the, of your rocket, right? Every time you add something, if you say, oh, well, I need, I need a little bit more fuel to get that much higher, that fuel weighs something. So you have to take into account how much your fuel weighs when you're burning. Okay. Yeah. So if these, okay, there we go. So, this little bit right here, yeah, just the make cone it, of it. See, see the little cone. There's like a little bit silver underneath it. Yeah. That is the spacecraft. The rest of it is all fuel to get off the Earth. And the the whole thing has got to be what sixty feet tall or something. Three hundred and sixty three feet tall. Three hundred and sixty three yeah. feet tall. So if you like, if you if you think about, it, I mean, it's really hard to get a scale of that thing without seeing it. But like yeah. that tiny bit of is the only thing that they're getting off the planet. So let's say three hundred feet of it. Is yeah. fuel to get off the Basically, planet. And they kept a little bit to punt themselves towards the moon and a, a little bit to, you know. Punt m- themselves back towards punt the earth. The, yeah, punt themselves back towards the earth and adjust their, their trajectory as they went along. But most of the fuel is just to get off the planet. So if you don't have to, so one of the things, um, other sort of unrealized missions when they were trying to figure out how to go to the moon. One of the first and easiest ways they thought would be to do called direct descent, which is basically launch a giant rocket do you know, do not stop, do not pass, go or collect right. $200, just like bam, earth to moon and land the entire rocket on the moon. Yeah. And then launch it up again and come straight back. Yeah. The, it turned out that the amount of fuel needed to get that something that large with the fuel they needed to get back off the moon to the earth was too heavy to launch from the earth. Oh my God. So it becomes, it becomes, I mean, this is why, like, you know, so, you know, we have the, the two spacecraft that one landed on the moon and one stayed in orbit. Okay. I have a model in my purse. I should have brought it out oh. to the table. <laughs> Um, Yay, there's a model. <laughs> I always carry space toys with me, but they, they did that because the only way they could get to the moon was to not have to land the heavy fuel they needed to get back to Earth and have to get it back off the moon. So, so they effectively just like created a gas station in orbit for themselves. Okay. Because it was, they couldn't land anything heavier than what they had and get it back off the, the moon. How, yeah. So when they <laughs> land on the moon with the tiny top of the yeah. rocket. Yeah. So the, the, Okay, so tiny top of the rocket yeah. is where they're living. Yeah. Right? Middle bit is circling, orbiting. Is so that the so, gas they're, so they're, in, they're in two, they're in two spacecraft. Okay. So one is the command service module and one is the lunar module. Okay. And the lunar module goes down and lands, but one guy stays in the command module orbiting the moon. Okay. And they did so that. He's driving. So he's, he's, yeah, he's just kind of hanging out by himself. Super lonely. Um, yeah. and these two guys are wandering around and they, they did that because it was easier to leave this guy in orbit than have to take the fuel needed to get that much fuel that they would need to get home. Right. This is their fuel to get home, right? That's their fuel to get home. The yeah. guy in space. Yeah. This is their, this is okay. their, their homeward bound and getting that down and back up again would take, take too, too much. much extra fuel to get off the earth, to get off the earth that it would make, it would need a significantly bigger rocket. And that became a ridiculous rocket to try to build anyways. And they're right. just like, they, <laughs> I mean, you don't think about the fact that like every time you have to leave someplace, you need fuel to do it. And that fuel, getting that fuel off the planet is really hard because it weighs a lot. Right. I mean, so two questions yeah. for you. One that was the long explanation. No, that was perfect though, because now I understand it. Awesome. Uh, so tiny, uh, two guys are on the tiny thing. They're on the moon. They get out, uh, they land on the moon. There's no gravity on the moon. There is, there is, there's one sixth earth's gravity. There's one sixth. I yeah. did not remember that. So there's, so the, the, the tiny rocket that they're in will sit there or they have to bolt it to the moon. They, no, it'll stay there. It'll stay yeah. there. There's enough. It, it weighs that enough it, that it's gonna, it's gonna stay there. But like, if and you, they get out and they have, they, they have suits with magnetic boots. No or magnetic. What, what are they? I mean, they, there, there's enough gravity it's that the they moon can walk. Made out of cheese. The moon is not made out of cheese. No, but apparently the moon smells like gunpowder. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, this is what they they said because they would it would get like embedded in their suits, right. and they bring it into the lunar module, repressurize, take their helmets off, and the, the, the astronauts all said like, that it's kind of smelled like gunpowder, like weird. spent gunpowder. Yeah. Um, Sulfur. 
Yeah, so there there is gra- enough gravity on okay. the moon that you can walk around. I mean, you're going to bounce a lot. Actually, they said that it was easier to kind of skip like a like a bunny hop kind of okay. kind of a dancing thing and and jumping, but like hey, like foot over foot was actually yeah, yeah. really hard. Um and their suits, I mean, they weighed like 300 and some pounds, Each but suit. on the moon it weighed 60. Right, right. So because yeah. of, of math. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so second question. Mm. So they get back, they're they're done looking around, planting the flag. Yeah. Peeing on things. Yeah. It's all working out. They get in t- inside their tiny module. Yeah. They gotta rehook up with the guy that's orbiting. Yep. How does that, that happen? That that is that um, is tricky. That has to be the most complicated thing. And this is why this was like the the hardest option when this guy presented it. This guy named John Hobolt presented this called lunar orbit rendezvous method. People were like, "You're insane." Right. It's like the equivalent of you know standing on two sides of a house, throwing two tennis balls at the same time, and hope and somehow making them smash. Yeah. So, yeah, um I mean they just had very good guidance systems that were able to kind of figure it out, okay. but um they had the the landing stage of the lunar module stayed, the the launch stage came up, the ascent stage came up. So it's okay. a smaller vehicle. Even smaller getting off the Yeah, cuz they so, left half of it behind. Litter bugs. Yeah, anyway. there's all there's all kinds of there's like there's like fecal containment systems on the moon and stuff. I mean, when you think about it, if they collect 800 pounds of moon rocks, yeah. you can't, again, the fuel, you can't right. get off with that much more weight. So you have to dump the right. equivalent. I think like Neil Armstrong's boots are up there. I mean, there's like really, oh, you know, there'd be great like stuff of historic value that people would want now. Sure, and they're probably uh, in perfect condition because it's the they, moon, they'd right? They'd be sun bleached a little bit. Yeah. But, they, <laughs> but like nothing would move. The prints should still be there, everything. Everything I mean, should still be there? Yeah. So, so they so they come up, they have the guy, and then they, they have this, I'm not entirely sure how the guidance system actually yeah. works, but it is like a complicated maneuver where they have to kind of lock on and, and ka-chunk, ka-chunk. get in the same orbit, and then they kind of dock together and okay. take out a little door, and they have a tunnel, and then they, they're all reunited, and it's a... Reunited, yeah. and it feels... <laughs> anyway, so then they have enough fuel... Uh, in that orbit to yeah. leave moon orbit. Yeah. Head back to. Head back to the earth. Head back to the earth and then they need some fuel to break back through the atmosphere. Is that correct? No, they came directly through. So they, they actually came so they're, they're sort of, the, the earth is, is, you know, their target point. They just came on a trajectory that would take them right into the earth atmosphere. They didn't stop in orbit around the earth and then okay. have to get out of that. So. Oh, okay. So they, so they, they went they would, through what, where they would have orbited directly yeah. to the earth and then, and then gravity takes over and just sucks and parachutes. Them, yeah. Sucks them into it. Yep. At which point they jump out. They jump the hell out of the vehicle. No, no, they no, landed they, in it. Didn't they splash land into the yeah, ocean yeah. or something? So, so they, they got, so they, by this point, by the time they re-entered the earth, they're, they're just in this little gumdrop shape spacecraft. Um, cause they've, 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 they've littered as they've, they've gone. They've punted. Yeah. This is like the beauty of this idea is as soon as something's not needed, they just shove it away. And <laughs> then, right. the, of course, again, with the fuel, yeah. it lightens your load every time. So you need less fuel to maneuver to it keep in, going. in orbit. Yeah. So, um, you know, every time, like, they're, they're just, there's no fuel, they're not powered the entire way, there's just gravity is, is taking them along, but every time they had to nudge their trajectory to get in the right spot, yeah. if you have less mass that you're pushing around, you need that much less fuel. Okay. So this is why lightening your load as you go makes it a lot simpler. So by the time they come back, they're just in this little pod. These are the ones you see in museums that look okay. like drops. Okay. Um, and, and that would come through, and then two, two big, three big parachutes would, Deploy and splash oh, right, down right. the ocean. Oh, right. It would slow them down yeah. and splash them down in the ocean. Yeah. And then the Navy and would... And then the U.S. Navy would come in and... Chug, 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 chug. Pick yeah. it all up. Pluck and them out. Pluck them out. And then they would get out and wave. And, and I would see that on television. Yeah. How yeah. many times did we do that? <laughs> we did that six times. 11, six times. 12, 14, 15, 16, 17. Yeah, six times. I can all count. Right. You can count. <laughs> well played. And, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's so... It's so weird that... Like what now? And then we stopped doing it. Mm-hmm. Why did. did we stop doing it? Because of the money? It was very expensive. It was and, very expensive. Yeah. I mean, we had we had plans to go through Apollo twenty, and then gradually, um, in nineteen seventy, they started losing funding and started cutting missions. And especially after Apollo thirteen, that near disaster, right. um, the the real risk of human life became much more apparent. I mean, everyone knew that it was risky, but all of a sudden it was like, oh gosh, we could actually lose men on the moon. Yeah. We could actually lose men in space. And and the and sort it of creeped everyone out. Yeah, this this sort of like NASA was very like NASA took risks. 
I mean, when they launched John Glenn into orbit in 1962, I think the Atlas rocket that launched him had a 51% success rate. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't good. I mean, it was one of those things where it was like, you're, you're taking a risk and you know it. Right. And then all of a sudden sort it of sort of became like, hope kind of yeah. Thing. It just kind of became, do we want to keep risking lives? And then, you know, funding started drawing out and you just couldn't, you couldn't keep doing it with right. lower funding levels. And then the idea was, well, let's do something that is closer to home. We can get them home if we have to. And something that's reusable because they never reuse the Apollo spacecraft. Right. And that's, I mean, that's a huge cost. And they thought, right, if we have keep a, abandoning all of these, yeah, this technology yeah. all over wherever they need to. So, yeah. what, I mean, so how it, can they lose funding and then create the space shuttle? Um, I'm not entirely sure where, how that funding works. Cause that's, that's amazing. Cause that, 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 you would think that would be even more expensive. Yeah. And, and, well, the, the idea with the shuttle, um, part of it was that the Department of Defense had initially said, we will, we will help foot the bill for this because you're going to build it with a cargo bay this size, which is why the shuttle is as big as it is to launch military satellites. And then ah. the DOD kind of pulled out a little bit. Um, but the shuttle was also supposed to launch 50 times a year. That's a really? lot of launches. Yeah, the, that is a the lot initial of fuel. yeah, the initial plan was to have that much going on. What so year was really, that? Late seventies, early eighties. That would have been a late. I would say it was like a mid to late seventies proposal that I right that because I saw that the Challenger when it blew up that was like eighty four, eighty five, eighty six, eighty six. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, it, I mean, obviously the shuttle had, did what, 135 flights over the course of its lifetime. So it okay. did not hit that 50 flights a year, uh, thing. So the, the idea was that by creating something that would be, um, a short turnaround time, refurbish it, relaunch it, it would save money so that you're not building a new spacecraft for every single flight. Right. Um, and, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure how, like how the funding was exactly allocated yeah, and yeah. stuff, but, um. And a lot of it too. I mean, they're, they're using technology that they developed during the Apollo era, even though the okay. spacecraft looked very different. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, same under, they understood same. the engine so they could develop an engine without having to do as much testing. Okay. Um, and I mean, this is why I think the Apollo era is so fascinating because how do you do something that you don't know how to do? <laughs> right? right. So like you're, you're inventing this stuff as you're going along. And now, I mean, we're still inventing new things, but we're kind of drawing back to technology that we know a little bit. Right. Someone so just it's... pounded on my weird, uh, weird door and it feels like it's, it's a little, um, a little odd. Yeah. Meh, yeah. It's whatever. Neighborhood watch. God mm. knows. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that you guys heard that, but it was, uh, I was sucked into seriously that story <laughs> because the weird thing about the space shuttle situation is because we did space shuttles in the eighties. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And then I think they just retired the last one recently, it was didn't they? Two, I want to say 2014. Okay. 2013? Yeah, it was re- yeah, 2013. So oh, 20 gosh. years, right? I should know that. It was 30 years. Yeah, 20, 30 years of, of space shuttles. Is it 2011? I am. I, <laughs> I should know this date off the top of my head. No but, worries. No worries. Yeah. Uh, turns out you have a book. And by the way, it's called Breaking the Chains of Gravity, you guys, and it'll be out in full. So I'm with, uh, Amy Shira title, by the way, and, uh, that is at AST Vintage Space and, uh, youtube.com slash vintage space and her, her blog on Popsi, if you Google Popsi Vintage Space, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. So, I have this to say. So we seem to have gone from manned flight mm-hmm. to a lot of stuff like the Hubble telescope and yeah. the Spitzer telescope and the, and like the rovers. Yeah. When, what is, are they cheaper? Are they just a different focus? How, what, what do you think caused that? Yeah. And, what is that? Definitely What's cheaper. What's happening there? Is it definitely, <laughs> definitely cheaper? Definitely cheaper. Um, you don't, you don't have to give a rover air or food. Oh, right. right? <laughs> you no don't, people. I mean, there's no, like, you don't have to cater to the rover. Um, when there's no people, you can, you can kind of, I don't, I don't want to say cut corners, but like you can cut costs because you don't have to do things like worry about it can be their comfort. Too. Yes. You don't have to worry about all these things. You can cram a lot more into a smaller space. It's, um, that makes it a lot lighter to launch, which means your cost for a launch vehicle is, is less and you don't have to have as big a rocket and you use mm-hmm. less fuel. Um, and, and you can get, you can get a lot of science out of it. Okay. Now the, the thing, the argument is that the rover, you know, curiosity is done in what, two, a little over two years now. Mm-hmm. Um, what a, a geologist could do in a week. So right. there is that, that trade off, but at the same time, you're the cost that you're getting, you, 
the cost of the mission is so much less than what you would get, you would have to spend to get a man up there to do the exact same science. Right. And the thing is, is you're going to spend a year getting him there anyway, right? I mean, how long does it take to get the rover? The shortest there? transit time, it's about, it's about two years. I mean, you can do a faster transit. It depends on your, how fast your rocket can launch you and stuff, but. Right. But you know, you're not going to we'll, get we'll a guy there any years. faster than no. you are going to get a rover, right? You, I mean, you, you could give, put him on a faster trajectory or a bigger rocket and just launch him faster. Right. And go that much faster. But okay. again, that's more expensive and there's, there's and then try to get them back because the rover getting, we're not getting them back no we're not we? getting these things back and this is a, i mean the mars one mission that you've heard of this one the danish this is the danish company that wants to do a one-way manned mission to mars to set up the first human colony and the idea is that these people will just give themselves to mars um and the entire mission will be broadcast as a um a live uh, tv reality show and advertising the funding <laughs> and advertising funding will fund the entire mission, which to me is a very problematic thing because, right, with Apollo, you had your peak funding in 66, we landed in 69. So you clearly need more funding when you're right. working out how to do it, not once it's been done and it's ongoing. Right. Um, so, I mean, but this is one of the things that this, this and mission. There are people who would do it too. They're like, so yes, many people who would do one it. One way trip to Mars. And it's man. one of those things that like, I've listened to a couple, I haven't like really dug in and like looked at all the people, but there are, I've heard some interviews with applicants who were accepted into like the, the most recent selection round okay. who just say like, oh no, it'll be fine. It's not that far away. I can talk to my family. It's like, do you know how far 30 million miles is? Right. Do you have a sense of how far away that is? I mean, I always think it's like more than just a time zone. Oh, the, the, the psychology of going to Mars, I think is the interesting thing. Cause like they've, they've done these simulated missions where it's like six guys living for 500 days okay. going through a Mars mission. Like the time delay gets longer as they get further away. Okay. Um, and they, they don't have any access to anything but themselves in this, you know, model spacecraft. Right. But they, I mean, they have to know. And they, I think ESA, the European Space Agency has done things in caves to be like, oh, here's what it would be like if you were in a Mars habitat. But, at the end of the day, these people have to know subconsciously even that they are in a controlled environment on Earth and that yeah. no one's going to let them die yeah. and that it will end. Right. I, I want to know. Still, go ahead. I was going to say, have, have, were there any of them who were driven mad anyway? Well, I, I don't think so. I don't okay. think so. But I always, I mean, this is what I always want to know is what would happen if you get, ha- you're halfway between the Earth and the moon and there is literally nothing you can see but stars. Yeah. And you, and you have that sense of reality of, I mean, I get that in airplanes sometimes. If you look out and you're sort of flying overseas and you sort of look out and you see the, the water, it's like, I am, I am in the air 40,000 feet above a giant body of water. And to me, that's terrifying. Sometimes that can, that, that you can, if you can grasp that, you can literally grok it. If you can get your head around that, I mean, get your head around being in the ocean on a sailboat and you can't see any water. You don't have, I mean, you have essentially the person driving that thing has a compass. Yeah. And granted, there are GPS now and yeah. and you can't really, and there's radios and you can't really get fully lost on the ocean like you used to be able to. Yeah. I'm probably wrong, actually. I mean, you, you probably you could. Can. I mean, if, if you don't have that technology or you want to do like an historic or voyage or, or, breaks, it or you have some accident, some technological mishap, like right. you can have that, that complete isolation that I, I can't imagine would be anything but sheer terror. And if you take that on the scale of being 15 million miles from the nearest planet, Right. I can't, I can't even, like, it, it, I can't wrap my mind about it. It makes me nauseous thinking about it. Right. But, but if you think about it, 500 years ago, that's exactly what those guys were doing. Those yeah. people who would get on those tiny, stupid boats and head across. And the I only love sailing. Difference, <laughs> the only difference with that one is that you knew that you didn't have to take your own air. You didn't right. have to, you there could, when, air, but when you, you didn't landed, have to bring your own water. you would bring your own water and bring your own food, but you knew that once you got to a place, you there could till the water. land and there would be water and there would be food. Mm-hmm. I mean, these, these missions going to Mars, trying to think about going to Mars, there might be nothing there's, there. There's nothing there. I mean, there's, we can't breathe the air. You can't go outside without a spacesuit. Right. You can't, you can't talk. There's no internet on Mars. There's no right. Wi-Fi to Mars. Um, <laughs> what's the password? It's, <laughs> and, uh, be the worst. you know, you, you could maybe cultivate the land. I think you, you might be able to, but I'm not sure. I mean, right. you would have, it, it's unfathomable. There's no water. 
Right. That you couldn't just, you can't just go to a well and like drink out of a stream. You'd have to somehow extract a little bit of water from the soil. I mean, this mm-hmm. is, this is not, this is not the pioneering mission of, you know, Columbus or some other explorer or going to a new country. But maybe this some is, people think it is. People have that there. And there's always that parallel made of like, oh, we're a nation of explorers. We're a, a race of explorers, humans, and this mm-hmm. kind of grand idea that You're really. You're a race of people that are going to die. Yeah. And is, really what it is, I mean, it's, it's, I just, I don't see that parallel the same way because you have to, you can't just go. It's a different, it's a different, (laughs) right. It's a different psyche. But I think that there is a psyche that wants to sort of, you know, I think this is why space is, has an angle for everyone. (laughs) It really does. Yeah. And like you think about, uh, I used to do a joke that never worked, uh, but it's a fascinating premise. So let's discuss it. Mm. Uh, is that I like the idea of time travel, Mm -hmm. but I would not use it. I don't know what I would use it for, except for, I want to go back and see Wisconsin where I grew up in the 1600s, in the 1400s. I would like to see that pristine land. Right. Uh, here's the thing. Bugs love me. Uh, I am covered in mosquito bites from going to Arkansas and I was covered with off. They didn't care. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I would go back in time, my theory. I also don't know how to camp. Uh, so I would go back in time to the 1400s or the 1600s in Wisconsin and I assume I would go back to die of exposure. Uh, because I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but there is part of me that still wants to do it. Yeah. So maybe that's what it is. You're like, I kind of want to be the first person to do it. Or I kind of want to yeah. see that thing that is so unique. And so mm-hmm. like, if you could go into space, would you go? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I would, I, I think there's definitely that draw to sort of seeing something new and unspoiled, even yeah. though we have a lot of junk on Mars at this point, <laughs> but yeah, to be, to to be one of the first or the first person to see a completely new alien vista. I mean, it's like the, the those first pictures from the moon. Right. Um, I mean, you, you saw that you saw them live. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe you were maybe I did. Um, but I'm so, I mean, even the first time I saw some of those pictures from the Apollo missions, I just remember thinking it must have been amazing to be the person to stand there and see something that no one has ever seen before. Right. Dana- and to bring that back with you and to share that with people with, with images and with video. I mean, it's unbelievable to do that, but you, you can't do that on a one way mission to Mars because well, right. you sort of can. <laughs> you can send the data back, but it's, uh, um, the data back very six different. years later. Yeah. Uh, someone could hear what you said it'd be like and, 20 minutes later but okay fair yeah. enough okay yeah but the i know that um dana gould used to do this joke about how when you go he speculates the guys who went to the moon and he remembers thinking what an amazing speech that guy made one giant step for mankind one small step for but it turns out he had there was a different speech and that he had fucked it up a little bit mm-hmm. and the weird thing is is he said oh of course that guy didn't think of that that guy was a was a a gym rat. That guy's a, an astronaut. He's not a philosopher. That was a room full of people writing, what will someone say <laughs> when they land on the yeah. moon? Like, you don't get to just go, holy shit, the moon, uh, which is what you might possibly be thinking. Yeah. Well, the first words of the second commander who landed on the moon, his first words were, whoopee, that may have been one small step for Neil, but it's a big one for me because he was five <laughs> foot six. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, oh, really? Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but I, I actually don't know who wrote, if he wrote it, if someone wrote it, if like, um, I don't actually know how that came According to the about. joke, according yeah. to Dana Gould's joke, and I mostly take jokes as uh, well-researched. Yeah. Uh, so that's where I like to get a lot of my news. And uh, <laughs> so I, I believe he said that it was... Was a, it was it was written and that he had said it incorrectly. Yeah, it and was supposed to be one small step for a man, yes. being him, one giant leap for mankind. And, and right. there is a reference later in the transcript that he, uh, Buzz Aldrin, says something about he he quotes Neil just among themselves, and yeah. he does say the A. Um, but yeah, I I'd heard some some story that Neil had shared that with his brother before he left for the moon. Okay. Um, but then I I have spoken to other people in the Greater Armstrong family who said that that might not have been the case. So I I don't actually know. Have you got to meet a lot of really cool space? I have. Yeah. That's neat. <laughs> um, the the one of the people who was just like I I don't get starstruck. Like I'm not one of those people who really cares. About celebrities but those like the apollo Except astronauts space yeah celebrities? like they're my rock stars they're the <laughs> ones that i see i'm just like i love your work i mean <laughs> how awesome. weird how weird Ooh. is like that for an engineer to hear that or something but um i met jim lovell who tom hanks played in the movie apollo 13 okay so real tom hanks is like yeah. <laughs> it's a people and he was he was um i mean he's 
this just this lovely guy and it's always yeah. that weird thing of like I'm at a cocktail party at an event and I'm sort of covering it for my blog and I'm trying not to freak out and right. sort of have to convince them in like 20 seconds or less like I I'm not just assigned here as a journalist like right. I I know I know my stuff and you're we're gonna get you we're gonna get open up to me a little bit and you sort of like throw out that thing it's like oh yeah I remember he did this buoyancy test in the Apollo spacecraft yeah. to see like if they got lost at sea how long could they stay afloat for two days okay without, you know throwing up all over the place apparently they threw up a bit but he he had been in in that test so i was like tell me about the buoyancy test from 67 he sort of looks at me and goes you know about that and there I said, yes go. and it was it was great so he shared all these you have cred. stories you have cred. Cred. yeah that was um that was fun and i met gene krantz who um who ed harris played in apollo 13 okay so real ed harris um but these so they're two of like you know the big guys that having seen that movie that movie came out when i was 10 i just gave away my age but um i gave away mine <laughs> Whatever. So, I mean, that was sort of one of like the first pop culture experiences right. I had with the space program that sort of made it graspable to me because it was suddenly like, mm-hmm. oh, I can see this and it's a story that I understand. And like meeting those guys was just like, this is crazy. Are those great, yeah. are those great stories in your book that's coming no. out? And are they on your blog? Uh, some of them are on my blog. Yeah. I tend okay. to blog about a blog and I, I tweet a lot of this stuff. Like whenever I go to a space event, any conference, it's all over Twitter. Um, I went to the Apollo, the 45th anniversary Apollo 13 event at, in San Diego. That's where I met Lovell and, and Kranz. And wow. I mean, there was like 15 of those guys there. It was just insane. And like, I am just tweeting pictures and quotes all night. And like, <laughs> you were like they oh my all God. end up on my blog. And like, that's, that's me as a, you know, that's new media journalist Let's covering go. it, being a total dork, just like freaking Yay! out all the Space. There was, I, they were doing all these panels about it and I was sitting on the floor because I, I was media so I didn't even have a table to sit right. at. So I was like, I'm like in a dress in heels, squatting on the floor, taking notes, tweeting it. And Charlie Duke, who is the commander of, oh, was he the commander? Yeah, I think. No, he's a lunar module pilot of Apollo okay. 16. I've met him. And so he sort of, he kind of recognized me earlier and was like, it's good to see you. And it was nice. like, Oh my God, you know who I am. <laughs> um, so I'm sitting there squatting on the floor, taking pictures and tweeting, and he's just laughing at me right. from the stage. <laughs> yeah. And I just see him looking over at me and just smiling and just shaking his head. <laughs> space like, nerd, uh, space he thinks nerd. I'm a dork. Yes. <laughs> I'll take it. It was nuts. I was like, ah, oh, I'll take it from Charlie Duke. You walked on the moon. You're allowed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is. That is okay. Well, I should have you back just because we're at an hour. Oh, oh, you'll be well, happy. That enough. did go fast. <laughs> uh-huh, told you. <laughs> it's uh, but I gotta, I gotta get you back. I'm so yeah. glad you had time to come. Yeah, today. I am too. This uh, Amy Shearer title, you guys. It's at AST Vintage Space slash Vintage Space on YouTube. If you go to Popsi and if you if you Google Popsi and Vintage Space, Popsi does their blogs in a weird URL. We so have a long URL, so figure it out, folks. And then in fall, if you live in the UK, you can get breaking the chains of gravity or in the u.s early next year you can pre-order all of it on amazon uh you've done vital work by being on the show thank Thank you you so much amy and thanks for listening folks take care out there my hat my hat my hat they're dancing around my hat (laughs) my hat my hat my hat well what do you think of that if it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh my god. Thank we, you. why don't we just call that as the end of the show?